Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all this morning. And as we continue to worship together through the reading of God's Word, uh, if you have a Bible, I ask that you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Uh, we're just looking at a couple verses today. Deuteronomy chapter 25, and um, the text will be on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. And if you would like a Bible, we would love to give, give one to you. So uh, see someone at the guest services table. We'll be sure that you can have a copy of the Bible to take home with you. Uh, we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, which is full of um, God's promises and grace to his people. Uh, a lot of times when we see Deuteronomy, as we will today, there are large sections of laws about family, about justice, about work, about even ceremonial worship and things. Some of these things do not pl- apply uh, in practice to us, but they apply in that it reveals the heart of God and his gospel. It reveals the brokenness of of we as his people and our need for a savior and restoration in Christ. And so today, uh, with that in mind, um, we're going to look at uh, verses 17 through 19 in Deuteronomy 25. And uh, let me pray as we get started. Father God, we thank you that you indeed are a good and holy God. Lord, that you are a loving father, that you are an almighty creator, God, that you are our redeemer, our rescuer. God, that in Christ we are uh, saved from Satan's sin and death, that you renew us, restore us to be your people, to reflect your image. So God, as we come this morning to hear your word, Lord, I ask that you would humble our hearts and uh, quiet our minds. God, we are restless from sin and brokenness. We are restless from um, pride. We are restless from... um, life circumstances and worry and anxiety and God we are restless because of relationships and uh, what whatever it may be so God I ask that by your spirit you would quiet our hearts and minds to hear this good news from you today Lord that you would draw us closer to your son Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith God for those who don't know you I pray you would uh, awaken their hearts to beat with life today God for those who do know you God I pray that you would uh, draw us to repentance by your grace, that you would have us lean on you and and utter joy and in rest. So God, we pray that you use this time for your glory and our joy and that the gospel would advance to the nations we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. And cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, and the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. This is God's word. Friends, apart from Christ... We are irreverent, restless people doomed for destruction. And that's bad news. (laughs) But the good news is that in Christ, through Jesus, we find ultimate rest with God. And we enjoy his eternal inheritance forever. So this morning, I want to ask you a couple questions. Because I do not merely want to teach about the Bible, but I want us to assess our hearts and hear a word from God. 
I want to ask you, where do you find rest? Like, what does rest look like for you? Where do you find rest? Sometimes it may be, um, you know, a place you go to or some hobby you have or maybe people you enjoy being with. Where do you find rest? See, rest is a gift from God, but we often look for rest in the wrong places. And that actually makes us more restless, right? Let's say you you find rest at a lake house. I mean, who wouldn't, right? And you want that so much that you work so much overtime, you tire yourselves out, you just stress over money, you're fighting with your spouse, you're like, I need to get this money and work extra so that we can rest. And you find out that your pursuit of rest actually makes you more restless. You see, we are, by nature, restless creatures. We often strive for rest in the wrong places. We often strive for good things, but make them ultimate things, like success or money or status or influence or power or resources, thinking that if we get those things, that will give us rest. In actuality, it makes us more restless. I even see this with things of faith, I had the great privilege of attending two different seminaries. Both are great. And what I found there is the pursuit of theological knowledge made me more and more restless. And it was very common with other students. And when I would talk with professors, it was very common that the pursuit of that can make you restless to the point that you were wanting to, you're finding your rest in knowing about God rather than actually knowing God. You know, there's a difference. You can know about somebody or something, but actually not know them. And when we look at the Gospels, it doesn't say, hey, if you know a lot about theology, you will find rest. If you know a lot about the Bible, you will find rest. It actually, Jesus is like, you will know, if you know me, you will find rest for your souls. An intimate knowledge. And there's a difference, and that's one of my personal struggles. I'll just throw that out there for you. My little nugget. Because the whole point of the Christian life is to know God and make him known. And we are, when we are restless, we lose sight of that and become discontent and irreverent and disconnected from God and his people. And I was reading a book recently called Sensing Jesus by Zach Eswine. It says, restless discontent is a kind of fatigue. When a finite creature cover, covets omnipresence, he loses sight of himself. So the first question I ask you is, where do you go for rest? How do you define rest? What does rest look like for you? The second question is this. What does restlessness look like in your life, in your soul, in your mind, in your relationships? What does restlessness look like? Is there disconnect from God? Is there disconnect from your spouse, your family, your friends, other Christians that want to connect with you in your life? Is there restlessness in your mind and your emotions full of worry and anxiety and discontent? Is there restlessness in your soul? Because today we see a snapshot of restlessness and rest. We see a snapshot of irreverence and reverent worship. We see a disconnect and then a reconnect in light of the gospel. And there's something here for us that will draw us to Jesus 
I want us first to see what restless irreverence looks like. Look what Deuteronomy 25, 17 says. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. You see, those two verses are referring to something that happened as God's people were being freed in the Exodus, right? You see, this is, Deuteronomy is written uh, by Moses, God's word through Moses as a prophet and a leader of God's people. God had used Moses to set his people free from bondage in Egypt. And as they were traveling for a couple decades, God was teaching them along the way, giving them his law. They were gathering to worship. There were times of rebellion, times of doubt, times of fear. And God would time and time again show his grace to his people. But during that time of the Exodus, this guy named Amalek steps out and he sees those who were maybe older, maybe sick, maybe just tired and doubtful, kind of the stragglers of the crew. And he and his men went and brutally murdered them. Just killed them. Just killed some of God's people because they were slow and they were easy targets. But you see, his barbarism, his inhumane act, uh, this is a story for us because it's true and it happened. And we see that the Amalek was actually a descendant of Esau. If you know uh, from Genesis, there's a story of Jacob and Esau. And then Amalek comes from the line of Esau. And you see here that he was, Scripture tells us, did not fear God. He did not fear God. Amalek was an irreverent person leading some irreverent people to do some irreverent things toward God's people. He killed the stragglers behind the slow pokes, those who were not in the mass of people during the Exodus. He just killed them. And scripture says the reason why is because he did not fear God. Now, did not fear God. Fear in this context is a, is a worshipful attitude. He, he did not reverence the Lord. He did not have fear of God as a creator. He did not have a worshipful attitude toward God. He, he could care less about God. And you see what happens if a person has restless irreverence in their soul. They don't care about God. They don't care about themselves. They don't care about God's people. They don't care about the mission of God, the purpose of God, God's creation, God's opportunities. They do whatever they want. Amalek is no different. In fact, he's a great picture of what happens when someone does not fear God. It can take you to a dark and dirty and selfish and reckless place. You see, Amalek led some men to slaughter God's people. God was doing amazing things to take God's people from bondage to lead them to a land of promise so that he could bless them and love them so that his people could thrive as his children. That's a wonderful, gracious thing that God was doing. Amalek had no worshipful attitude, no reverence toward God or his people. So he slaughters them, butchers them. You see, if God is not the center of your heart, something else will be, and that will lead you to disaster. And you're probably thinking, wait a second, Jeremy, I have no interest in slaughtering people. Maybe not like that, but how do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat those of whom you are in charge at work? Maybe do you look down on the 
errand boy or the, you know, the person that, you know, is maybe lower down on the totem pole at your office. You see, I want us to assess our hearts here in this context. I mean, these few verses set the stage for the rest of the chapter of Deuteronomy 25 because there are instructions at the beginning about how to, um, how to honor God in marriage, how to honor God with family, how to honor God with uh, laws of justice and, and, and things that would be right culturally for that day. But it all comes down to this statement. Do you fear God? Do you have a reverent, worshipful attitude toward God? Now, let me say, there is a difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. You know, we could set up a service here to be a very reverential style of service, but if your heart is not worshipful toward the Lord, it doesn't do any good. Worshipful attitude, reverence, fear. Amalek's heart was far from God, and it showed in his actions. So I want us to assess our hearts. Do you have a reverent, worshipful attitude toward God Because in him we find our rest. You see, Amalek is a guy who is full of irreverent restlessness or restless irreverence because if you don't fear God, you will find your fulfillment and joy and purpose somewhere else. Maybe that's conquest of a land or a business or killing people or getting lots of money or whatever it may be. So where is your heart? Do you have a reverential, worshipful attitude toward God? Or are you restlessly irreverent? Just, I don't really care about God. I don't care about God's purposes. I don't care about God's people. Because I want us to see the difference here. You see, Amalek was a restless, irreverent person. And in fact, God's people were growing weary. It says they were faint, they were weary. But look at verse 19. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you and the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget You see, there's a huge difference between the irreverent, restless attitude of Amalek who would take advantage of the weak and weary people of God and say, hey, they're weak, they're weary, I'm going to kill them. (laughs) It's a different attitude from Amalek than that of somebody who is with the Lord. The Lord says, hey, look, the Lord will give you rest. The Lord is giving you a land to possess as an inheritance. So I want us to look at that. We've seen what restless irreverence looks like, and I want us to see what worshipful rest looks like. Rest in God with an inheritance from God. See, rest in this context means care. It means comfort. It comes from faith and trust that the Lord is taking care of his people. Can you imagine having been multi-generations in bondage in Egypt and slavery, abused, overworked, 
not able to worship God like you wanted to? Can you imagine being in that context? And then God comes down and says, I'm setting you free. I'm giving you this land. I'm going to bless you. I am going to be your God. You are my people. You will thrive over here. You will no longer return to bondage again. I'm going to set you free and bring you to ultimate joy and rest. Can you imagine hearing that good news, that promise, and then all of a sudden some maniac comes out of the mountains and kills the slow people behind. Can you imagine the doubt? Can you imagine the fear? I can imagine being there saying, wait, God, I thought you were leading us to a land of promise. You were going to give us rest. And there were those who were weary and faint and they were murdered and God's promise remains. The Lord, your God will give you rest. He is leading you to a land for you to possess as an inheritance. Rest means trust, it means comfort, it means knowing that your ultimate joy is in God, not your circumstances. You may be here today thinking, man, things at work are not good for me. How can I find rest? Jeremy, things are not good right now with my family. Things are not good in my neighborhood. Things are not good financially. Things are not good spiritually. I'm full of doubt. I'm wrestling with sin that I thought I could conquer by now. Are you finding rest in God? Are you finding rest in your accomplishments? Are you finding comfort, trusting that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do for you? See, Israel, I... Bet was struggling with that as they see the slowest among them butchered. You see, God was making good on his promise in his way, in his time. He was leading Israel to a land he had promised. This is a foreshadowing of an eternal truth for you and I in Christ, which is why Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, rest requires surrender. It requires dependence. Rest requires an act of humility. Rest requires worship. Rest is an act of faith, an act of trust in who God is and what he does. There's a great story of the reformers, Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon, who were walking together one day, and Philip turns to Martin Luther and says, hey, you know what? Uh, Today, you and I will discuss the governance of the universe. And Martin Luther turns to his friend and says, no. Today, you and I will go fishing, and we'll leave the governance of the universe to God. You see, sometimes, friends, I think we find our rest in the things that are about God, but not actually of God, you know? I think we find our rest maybe in what we know and what we do, which may be good things, but we find our rest there rather than who God is and what he's done. You with me? I think it's very common in the South. I wrestle with it. I think many of you here probably do as well. I think it's easy for us to find rest, say, look, here's here's one. When I was a kid, I, um, when I was eight years old, I started the best that I could as an eight-year-old to understand the gospel. 
My uncle was a pastor and during a communion service explained what communion meant and it registered with me in a different way as an eight-year-old. And so it was uh, June 29th, 1986 that I had some counsel and prayer and, and actually became a Christian. I was baptized July 13th, 1986, and I wrote that on the inside of my Bible as a second grader. And every Bible I got since until I was probably 20. <laughs> and if anybody said, hey, Jeremy, are you sure you're saved? Said, yeah, man, look, I prayed this prayer June 29th. I got baptized July 13th. I'm saved. I'm good. See, for a couple decades of my life, I rested on what I had done. I prayed a prayer, I'm good. I was baptized, I'm in. I was resting in my work, my good things. I could list you a resume of mission trips and good deeds I had done. And in that moment, when I was in my young 20s, God did something different in my heart and awakened me to say, look, man, you're putting your rest and trust in who you are and what you've done. It's time for you to put your rest and trust in who I am and what I've done. It's totally different. You see, rest is trust in who God is and what he's done. I was all excited about discussing the governance of the universe when all the while Christ is saying, you need to go fishing and let me rule the universe. I'm a horrible fisherman, but it's a much better place to be. And there's a fine line between fishing and just standing on the shore like an idiot. And I'm totally fine being a poor fisherman and trusting that the Lord is in control. So where do you find your rest? Where do you find your worship? What does your resting in God look like? Do you rest in God, or do you seek rest apart from him? Do you enjoy rest of the rest of God in Christ, or are you seeking rest apart from Christ? Are you looking to rest in who you are and what you've done, or can you rest in who Christ is and what he's done? Deuteronomy, God's people are saying, wait, we are trying to worship you. We are trying to follow your laws. I love that these verses, this story is in the middle of what you should do. I mean, it, it, beginning of chapter 25 and the beginning of chapter 26 is all about this is the obedience. You, you were to obey me. I am your God. You are my people. Here's what marriage looks like. Here's what justice looks like. Here's what giving looks like. You were to obey me. I am your God. You are my people. This is what you should do. And in the middle of that, God, through Moses, drops a couple verses to remind them, hey, wait a second, just so you know, you were free, not because you've done those things, you were free because I've set you free out of my grace. You are free, not because you've obeyed these laws, but you were to live this way because I have set you free. You were not to rest in your good deeds, you were to rest in me, and may your good works be a rippling evidence of rest. It's a huge difference, friends. And I don't want to give us a list of to-dos and to-don'ts and say, be a better Christian, do better, try harder. I want you to hear that, look, man, if we seek rest apart from God, if we are restless and irreverent people, we can be, we're just as good as Amalek coming down out of the mountains to slaughter God's people. Why should we care? We're tougher, we're stronger, we've got sharper swords. That's where it goes. And I think... If we're apart from Christ, our hearts are a lot closer to Amalek than we would probably care to admit. That's just some Old Testament guy. No, no, he's, he's here for a reason. God has him in the scriptures a couple different times for a purpose. 
And if we are finding our rest somewhere other than God, or if we are having a reverent attitude toward the Lord, our hearts are much closer to Amalek than you would probably like to admit. But verse 19 is the promise, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance to possess. Man, there's so much good stuff there. You see, apart from God, we are restless and irreverent. Jesus calls us to find our rest in him and transforms us to be restful, worshipful people. But there's something else I want us to see that's important here. He says, when the Lord your God has given you rest, it requires surrender, trust, faith, comfort in Christ he's given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. See, we've looked at irreverent restlessness and and we've seen worshipful rest and I want us to see what it means to have an inheritance to possess. You see, God was restoring his people not only to be, not, not only taking them from irreverent to reverent, not taking them from restlessness to be restful, but he was also having them steward an inheritance. That's important. He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to give you rest. Give you rest. Just chill. I'm going to give you rest in a land that I'm giving you as an inheritance to possess. To possess something doesn't mean only to own it, but it, but it means to like use it. If, if you possess a Keurig coffee maker and you never, ever make a cup of coffee, what's the point? Right? I mean, if you, if you own a vehicle but never drive it, if you own a home but you never like live in it, then what, what's the point? Right? To possess something, that means, it means not only to like say I own this, but it, but it means to, to use it for the purpose that which God intended. God has intended this land to be used for a purpose, for God's people to thrive in rest as worshipers of him. See, being restored from restless irreverence to a worshipful rest brings about stewarding an inheritance, a, a gift that God has given them. They didn't earn it. They didn't acquire it. They didn't just happen upon it. The Lord God gave them land to possess. It was giving them a land to possess for a purpose as an inheritance. This was to be a reminder that God is God and they are not, lest they become more like Amalek and say, well, hey, man, we got this land because we're awesome. We got this land because we're, we're cool. We did everything right. Of course we would get this land. God's like, no, I'm giving you this land. This will keep you humble. You find your rest in me, not what you've done, not who you've conquered, not your resume, not your strength, not your sharp swords or your, you know, ninja moves or whatever. God is giving land as an inheritance for his people to possess. This is a foreshadowing for us in Christ to see how this changes everything. And in fact, if you read, I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 25 before this because you will see the laws and instruction God lays out for his people stem from that. 
God gives commands to his people because he is a gracious God who is giving them land. He does not say, do these. And there's some weird laws in here. I was going to read them, but I was like, I think it would distract us at this point. I would encourage you to read them. There's instruction about how to settle disputes between people and how not to over whip the criminal. You don't want to kill the guy. You just want to punish him in justice. This is cultural for their day. It's different for us today, but the heart behind it is the same. God is showing his justice, showing his grace through justice. There's instruction about what it means to to carry on family lineage through marriage and family, what happens if somebody dies and how do you do that. There's another dispute about what happens if some men are fighting and one of the wives tries to break it up. There's an instruction about what to do there. But all of that is not so that God's people will get this land to rest. It's because God is giving them a land to possess, to find their rest and worship in him. And he wants life to look different and to trust him. For us in Christ, so what does it mean? Okay, we're going to land the plane. See, apart from God, we are restless and irreverent, irreverent people. God wants his people to rest in him and be worshipers of him. He's giving them lands. He is wanting them to possess an inheritance to steward and to use for for his glory and their joy. And so that people around them would be like, wow, this is how wonderful the Lord is. So what does that mean for you and I today? How, How do we get moved from restless irreverent to restful worship? And how do we What does it mean to possess an inheritance and all that? language is used all over the New Testament. The New Testament writers picked up on this language and was like, we're going to use this and we're going to connect the dots theologically for us. These gospel truths that are woven throughout the Old Testament carry out in the New Testament and there's application for us today. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 1. In him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There the apostle Paul is writing about about. God saving his people in Christ, what it means to become a Christian, to to hold fast to the good news that Christ has saved you. The Holy Spirit seals your heart as, an, as a promise, a guarantee of the inheritance until we acquire possession of it to his praise and his glory. It's such good news. It is an eternal perspective that should shape everything. If, if you could just commit those two verses to memory, would that not change how you treat your spouse? Would that not change how you treat your coworkers? Would that not change how you treat the opportunities God has you when you, when you go to work tomorrow and be like, wow, I got this cool job. It's because I'm smart. It's because I'm awesome. No, you, you walk in and be like, wow, God has given me this gift to steward. And while I'm here, I want to, to trust the Lord and, and reflect his goodness of grace to his people, trusting that I'm, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Right, when, that, when that trust, how you approach like scripture study and worship in general, how you approach like moral living and, and doing good works, all good things, but the motivations behind it would be it's because God has saved you and changed you. How about this? Colossians 1.12 says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 3.24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. 
See, friends, we all come into this room restless for something. We all come into this room maybe worshiping something. We all come into this room far from the Lord to one degree or another because something is is wedging its way in. We all want rest. We all want to worship. And I want us to see that it's God's work through Christ for our benefit that draws us in, that the good news of God giving rest from your enemies around you, God's giving an inheritance to possess, that comes true for you and I in Christ Jesus. And that's good news. It's reading this other good book. I refer to it every couple months. The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. They're actually making a movie, uh, a biopic about Brendan Manning. He writes, How I treat my brother or sister from day to day, how I react to the sin-scarred wino on the street, how I respond to interruptions from people I dislike, how I deal with normal people and their normal confusion on a normal day may be a better indication of my reverence than the anti-abortion sticker on the bumper of my car. Friends, if you truly are a reverent restful worshiper of the Lord, it's going to change how you treat people. You know, you can't be a proper worshiper of the Lord and be a jerk to somebody. You just can't. It's impossible. And it all comes back to our attitude toward the Lord. If we think we stand before the Lord because we've done something right or we do things right or because we don't sin the same way somebody else does, if we approach the Lord with that kind of pride, it's going to affect how we treat other people. But if we realize that Christ has saved us in spite of ourselves, that we are weary and restless and we can find rest for our souls in Christ, and if we see that we are not saying, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him, but rather, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That will change how you treat anyone and everyone. And that's the nature of stewarding a possession and inheritance. We can't be Christians who walk around bragging on the bling-bling that we're getting from Jesus. This doesn't make sense, but rather a humble attitude of, you know what, I would be much worse (laughs) if it weren't for Christ's intervention. I mean, there's no reason why I shouldn't be as irreverent and restless as a guy named Amalek who selfishly did horrible things just to be a jerk. I mean, there's no reason I shouldn't be that guy. But thankfully, Christ stooped down and rescued this sinner by bringing nothing to the table except for my sin. I have nothing to brag about. I have nothing to show I just merely walk before the Lord and say, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I'm a mess, but I'm your mess, save me. And with that good news, we find ourselves making a decision. Can we take that good news and repent of restlessness and turn? Repent means to turn from something to something else. Can we repent of restlessness and say, I'm restless, God, I'm I'm repenting, I'm turning to you, I need to find my rest in you, Lord. Can we repent of irreverence saying, I feel no connection to the Lord, I feel, I'm full of pride, I'm 
full of arrogance, I'm full of self-sufficiency, I'm full of my good moral deeds and my good education and my good whatever. Can we turn from that and say, Jesus, I want to worship you better. (laughs) You need to change my heart so I will worship you. My heart is inclined not to worship you. I need you to change my heart by your spirit. Can we repent of seeking rest in the wrong place and turn to seek rest in Christ? Can we turn from disbelieving the gospel and turn to believing the good news? Can we turn from thinking we are all that and seeing that Jesus is all that? Because this is good news for us. So if you're here and you are not a believer, I want you to know more than anything that nothing in this earth will bring ultimate uh, fulfillment and joy to you. That there is no thing on this planet that you can acquire that will fulfill you. There is no good thing that you can do that will make you feel like you have the status. In fact, there's nothing at all that will secure for you some internal inheritance that you can possess and steward that good news now. There's nothing that will do that on earth. And if you are restless looking for fulfillment, if you are restless looking for joy, if you are restless looking for forgiveness and identity and security and belonging, if you're just like, man, I'm lonely, I'm tired, I am weak, I am so discouraged, I want to extend to you the words of Christ. The good news. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Friends, that's good news. I want us all to hear it. If you're not a believer, that's good news. I want you to embrace today. If you're If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, I want you to join with me in repenting of our prideful irreverence toward God. I want you to join me in repenting of restlessness, finding, looking for joy and satisfaction and comfort somewhere other than Christ. I need to repent of irreverence. I need to repent of restlessness. I want you to join me in doing that if you are a believer and let us turn to Christ and find rest for our souls And in so doing, steward an eternal inheritance to those around us, knowing that uh, we are now image bearers reflecting the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. And if you want to talk to somebody, you can grab me or somebody here you trust, and we will walk through the gospel and good news with you. Uh, As we do every Sunday, we have a time of response. If you're a believer, we encourage you to come up and celebrate communion. It's a way for us to remember who Christ is and what he's done. You can take the bread and tear it off and dip it in the wine or juice. The bread represents the broken body of Christ, and the wine or juice represents the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. This is um, symbolic of who Christ is and what he's done for us. It's an act of worship. It's an act of remembrance. And so if you are a believer, uh, we invite you to come and partake. If you're not a Christian or if there is some sin in your heart that is not dealt with, we would like to walk with you through the gospel before you participate in this uh, worshipful event. Um, So the musicians will come up and lead us. And if there is um, also in the back, there's a a giving table. If you are part of the ministry here and you want to worship through uh, giving your resources, uh, the table is there for you as well. Um, Let me read this as we uh, enter a time. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said to his disciples, 
take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your goodness to your people throughout all generations. God, I thank you that your scripture is full of stories of your grace, your goodness, your faithfulness. God, amidst the rules and commandments and instructions, we see the common theme of your good news, your grace that leads us to Jesus. So God, I pray that as we reflect on the scriptures this morning, that we would, uh, that you would have it simmer in our minds and, and marinate on our hearts, God, that the, the grace of your truth, of your gospel would soak in deep. God, that you would convict us of sin brokenness, God, pride or fear or anxiety, restlessness, irreverence, selfishness, God, not stewarding what you've given us. God, I pray that you would convict us of our attitudes as well as our actions, that you can convict us of our wrong thoughts as well as our wrong deeds, and Lord, that we would not despair, but rather that we would turn and lean in on Christ and find rest for our souls. God, I pray great comfort by your spirit for those here who are hurting. God, those here who are carrying heavy burdens, hard news to deal with, tough relationships, difficult circumstances. God, I pray uh, those here who are, who are angry or bitter or despairing, uh, God, that you would uh, comfort them by your grace, by your spirit. God, bring them to a place of rest and joy. God, those here who are, who are striving to make things happen and just wearing out. We're getting tired. Lord, I pray that you would give us rest as well. God, for all of us, I, find that we would find our, I pray that we would find our ultimate joy in Christ and pray that by your spirit you would do amazing things for your glory and our joy and that the good news of Christ would advance in our lives out to the nations we ask in his holy name. Amen.